This episode is brought to you by Backtrace. Complex software design can sometimes cause catastrophic errors. Backtrace IO provides tools that make sure your development process moves forward, even in the face of those challenges. Visit them at backtrace.io and sign up today. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. We are in a new year. I have been drinking non-alcoholic beer. It's dry (laughs) January. I'm getting through it. And we're a third of the way through. And I am joined today, as I often am, by wonderful collaborators, Matt Kiernander and Sior Ford. Hi, y'all. Hi. Hello. So I don't want to toot my own horn, but to start the episode, I have to say there was a piece in the New York Times, the paper of record, that said engineering blogs are very important if you your company wants to hire engineers. Great lady for that. But just so everybody knows, the Stack Overflow blog is a great place to come if you want to write about technology. Lots of companies come and work with us to do sponsor blog posts where their engineers write great things. And it was fun to read this in a sort of general interest news publication and have the thesis kind of affirmed, which is, you know, what engineers love is to read about real processes, real problems, tools people used and how they built things to get down, as some of the engineers said, in the trenches, you know, with other people who are working. So thank you for that chance to promote myself, pat myself on the back. But in the same vein, if you ever want to write for us or come on the podcast or whatever, please do reach out because that's what we're here to do is create content by developers for developers. Okay, I'll stop talking now. (laughs) I think the uh, Uber engineering blog is actually a a really good resource because I remember reading something a couple of years ago now where they're talking about the evolution of the Uber app, how they had to do some really crazy optimizations to get like the bundle size down because it was growing more and more. And then with Apple and the App Store, they had certain restrictions that they needed to be under a certain size. And so they had to like do some absolutely mind-blowing things to try and like bring everything down and get to the point where it was actually possible to ship to the App Store. Right. I enjoy, like Sarah, I'm sure you must be of a similar mindset, like seeing these kind of like transparent kind of like postmortems of like real problems that they had. Yeah, I really like um, Netflix. They used to be very heavy with their developer blog on Medium. Mm. I'm not sure if they're still there, but they have a developer blog. And then they also have like developer-centric videos and talks on YouTube. Yeah, And I remember this because I remember reading and watching a lot of the stuff they put out about GraphQL when I at my last job, because they're one of the companies that like is a big proponent of GraphQL and they right. talked about why they use it and how they use it and how it helped them and all that kind of good stuff. So, so yeah, I think a lot of times individual bloggers or engineers will like publish things about like their personal projects or their personal learnings. But sometimes when you hear it from the perspective of like a team, like at the enterprise level, it gives you different insights that I think are very valuable. Totally. I like it because, you know, it pulls back the curtain a bit, like you said. Yeah. And often, right, it's less opinionated. Like, here's how we did this. You know, here's here's why we did this. It's like, somebody told us we had to do this and we didn't know how to do it. And so we tried to like work through it and figure it out. And that, I think, is, is always appealing. There was a writer, Gurgly, who did a little writing for us and now has gone on to... He's got his own little media empire. He's got a popular sub stack. He's always breaking news on Twitter. He used to be an Uber engineer and he wrote for their blog. So he's taken it up full time now. Very cool. I actually also really enjoy reading when companies have disastrous like 
a whole tech stack burnt down <laughs> and this is how we got it back up within right. three days. Yeah. Like, yeah. I find that kind of stuff really interesting as well. I think Amazon had one a couple of years ago where one of their either interns or junior engineers accidentally took down Amazon for a small period of time. And instead of being like, this is your fault, it was like, this should not have happened. It was not the fault of the individual. It was a system failure. Right. And this yeah. is what we're going to do to prevent. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where like, I'm not even mad. I'm I'm actually quite impressed. Like yeah. a junior engineer should not be able to bring down Amazon, but it happened. And then they had like a whole thing describing how they were going to fix that potential issue moving forward. You got to love the blameless accountability. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, next link. I have to confess, there were a bunch of really cruddy toys that got purchased over this holiday season on a 3 a.m. Instagram TikTok jag where, you know, just it pops up and you just hit buy. Uh, Somebody (laughs) dropped a link in here. Instagram removes the shopping tab from the main app. Sierra, I know in the past you've told me this is like your one guilty pleasure. Why'd they take it out? Why'd they take it out? What do they say? I added this link because I think maybe like a couple months ago we had talked about like Instagram's UI and how they're like being very video focused and e-commerce focused now. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're slowly but surely trying to return back to their roots. That's what I'm interpreting (laughs) this as. Yes. Because they've removed the shopping tab and you still can shop on Instagram, but it's just not like one of their primary functions in the the home feed and they also moved the reels tab so that now the button that like your thumb most naturally falls on is the button you press to make a new post instead of the button for viewing reels somewhere a ux designer just just had like a galaxy brand explosion he said the place where your thumb most naturally falls that's what they want to hear yeah they've got that button right in the sweet spot I'm going to imagine that they listened to our podcast and they were like, you know what? We <laughs> got to make this change and go back uh-huh, to our roots. Uh-huh. Because that's kind of what I've, I'm happy about it because I'm interpreting this as them. Like eventually a couple months from now, The Verge will be like, Instagram is now changing their algorithm to start promoting photos again and stuff like that. Like that's, <laughs> that's the goal. It's, it's, Good luck. So. It's re- yeah. run, running in reverse chronology here. Yeah, exactly. It's going backwards in time. So to, if I'm understanding this right, that getting rid of the shop tab and replacing that with the reels tab within the main UI? Yes, but you can still shop on Instagram. That function is not being taken away, but it's not like in that home menu there on the bottom of the screen. So yeah, they changed it a little bit. I'm wondering if the way that they kind of evaluated this decision was like they were making X many dollars with the shop store and the potential future X many dollars with Reels. And they're, they're just kind of like juggling things to make sure that Reels is getting like the attention it deserves within. Well, the thing is Reels used to, they moved the Reels button too. There's, they have a little picture of a sample of what the UI for the Instagram homepage is going to look like now that they've made this change. Initially, the Reels button was like right in the middle. So that's like the main oh, button. Oh, I see. That they want everybody to press. They changed that. The Reels button is moved where the shopping tab is. And instead mm. of the Reels button being there, it is the button you press to like make a new post. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. I, I am curious to hear like what motivated them to make this change. Right. But I know like a few months ago, everybody was like, oh my gosh, like, no, we don't want Instagram to be like TikTok. We want pictures and things like that. So I'm hoping that this is one of those instances where like a company 
hears people's feedback and they're like, you know what, let's follow it because this is what the people want. I'm hoping that's the case because honestly, that's kind of what I wanted. So it's a good change in my opinion. They're listening to you. Sony announces a new accessibility controller for the PS5. I saw this and some other cool stuff come out of CES. Who dropped this in? And why is this so as cool? I mean, it sounds cool, but what's especially interesting about it? Yeah, I dropped this in and it's really interesting because this is a culmination of Sony trying to make a lot of their products more accessible, Mm -hmm. especially as far as like video games go. I'm not a gamer, so I don't really know anything about this, but Mm. I was reading in the PlayStation 5, what they've been trying to do is create a controller that is more suited for people with accessibility needs. So they have announced what they're calling Project Leonardo. And it's a controller that has a bunch of different configurations and settings so that you can hook it up to accessibility devices. You can also connect the buttons to different actions that would be on the PS5 controller, the regular one. Oh, I see. So So like this button is a up left joystick push. Right, exactly. Right. Exactly. So it's it's super customizable and they like consult it with accessibility experts um, and people with disabilities to make sure that this would be like as helpful and useful to them as possible. I just thought that was really cool. And I've also learned that they have a program. They launched the program in 2021 where developers can submit their games to Microsoft to have them evaluate it for accessibility. Right. And they get tested by gamers with disabilities. So I thought that was really cool. I'm not a gamer. The most I have is a Switch. But <laughs> I do think it's really cool that they're trying to make sure that everyone can like play and enjoy games and right. even like make sure the games themselves are accessible to everyone. I like the concept here, which is that like it's all modular. Like it's this huge wheel and you can build it out to suit your suit, whatever your particular needs may be. Different parts you can take apart and put it here and then all that kind of stuff. It looks. You say you're not a gamer. The gamer brain, I'm like, oh, some pros are going to take this now and like hack it together to like (laughs) get a little bit of an advantage in their competitive game or whatever. But I I can't imagine how difficult this must have been to kind of get off the ground because when it comes to especially physical accessibility Mm -hmm. and everyone's got a huge different like people have different range of motion, strength, RSI, like there's a lot of different things that can go into what is the perfect controller for somebody. So right to create something like this that's going to have the flexibility to be able to adapt to a whole different range of people's needs. Really interesting. I'm I'm wondering kind of like how that design process worked kind of over the long term. Yeah. So I did read, like I said, they like consulted with accessibility experts and people with disabilities. And I'm assuming that it was a very thorough like research thing they did before they even started to like built this out and they probably had it tested by a bunch of people, which is good because I've heard of a lot of devices or games or websites, whatever Mm -hmm. technology, whether it's software, hardware that was supposed to be accessible and they didn't test it properly by having people with disabilities actually try to see if it's accessible. So I was really happy to hear that they like the, the article says that they partner with video game accessibility advocates um, like able gamers and special effect. Mm. So I think that was really good because you have to make sure they wanted to make sure that it's highly configurable and that it also works with like accessibility devices. I'm not sure ex- 
what that specifically means, but I'm assuming that like for people who use motorized wheelchairs and things like that, maybe it can work in tandem with things like that. So I follow one of the, um, they're an accessibility writer at uh, Santa Monica Studios who did Ragnarok, which has been kind of lauded for its work within the accessibility space. And uh, I see things pop up from time to time. And they've been talking about Microsoft has actually historically done quite a good job with accessibility. They had this controller that came out a couple of years ago now, which was designed purely for players with disabilities. Nice. Speaking of gaming, it's important to know that using only Tetris, you can build a machine capable of universal computation. I don't know how fast it would run. I don't know how well it would work, but a universal computing machine can take any input, transform it into any output, any program, any algorithm. So if you're interested in how Tetris can become the entire backbone of your computing machine, (laughs) I'll put it in the show notes. It's just one of those things. It's like, can I get Doom to run on this? It's like, can I get Tetris to blank, blank, blank. I'm I'm having enough trouble with JavaScript as it is. I don't think I need to (laughs) tackle a Tetris just yet. And then the first the first comment takes us to Code Golf, one of my favorite stock exchange sites. Build a working game of Tetris and Conway's Game of Life. So here you have to use one universal game machine to build another universal game machine. And lots of people have submitted answers over the 10 years this question has been around. It's one of those like stack exchange questions that basically becomes a textbook after a certain point. Like it just it just goes on forever and ever and ever. It's a beautiful thing. All right, y'all. Last but not least, we have some show news. Our dear friend Matt is going to be departing onwards and upwards from Stack Overflow. I'm sure he'll share more news with us in the future. He'll get to come back on the show. But Matt, it has been truly a pleasure having you on. I can say that as both a guest and a host and a colleague. So tell folks a little bit about it from your perspective, and then we'll start scheming right away to get you back on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's one of those bittersweet things. Um, I'm going to be moving on from my role at Stack Overflow as a developer advocate. I'm actually currently in search of a new opportunity. So if you're hiring a developer advocate, wanting an engineer, let me know. My email is matt.kianander at gmail.com. And yeah, the last year has been absolutely fantastic. It's been a wild ride kind of coming along and being a user of Stack Overflow. And then uh, within my fourth year, I guess, within the industry, being a co-host on the Stack Overflow podcast. That's definitely been a career highlight and something I, ho- I hope I can continue to do after I have a new sign-off tag. Hi, I'm Matt Kienander at so-and-so. Maybe yeah. your company. Who knows? Exactly. <laughs> Excited for the new sign-off tag. And I'm sure you'll have to learn a few things at the new gig, yeah. which you can bring to the show. That'll be fun. I have a question for you. I want to know what your favorite moment from the podcast has been. I know that's a big question, but Mm. I wonder if you've been thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. It can be moments. It can be more than one, too, if you want. Oh, I wish you'd asked me that five minutes earlier so I could have had a think. That's really hard. (laughs) There have been a number of really cool moments on the show and just people that, that I've met with a it was it was maybe an episode where I like I wasn't one hundred percent sure of, and it ended up being something absolutely fantastic, like the the home labbing episode. That was mm. really cool. That's yeah, something that we've referenced again and again. Right. I actually think one of the conversations that I enjoyed the most was with he he started off doing Neopets to impress a girl. Oh yeah, Mitchell Hashimoto. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Mitchell yes. Hashimoto. That conversation was really cool because he had such like an organic growth into becoming 
a CEO and then stepping down because he just enjoyed the tech and just wanted to kind of focus on doing things. Yes. And that whole process of leaving his job to go full time, creating an open source project. I think that was definitely one of my favorite episodes because it's something I, I guess maybe I relate to a little bit more than yeah. some of the other guests. It was very cool. Yeah. I agree. I like that conversation too. That was a great one. While we're doing a quick retrospective, what are some of what were some of your highlights from last year? My highlights from last year? That's a mm. big question. I like the home labbing episode too. I really liked, I don't know if this was last year or if this was actually 2021, but every time we discussed crypto and blockchain, <laughs> I really love those discussions because I feel like on Twitter, it's really hard to have like a productive discussion about those things because it's so polarizing. And sometimes people can get mad and yada, yada, yada and argue and stuff. But I feel like on the podcast, we were able to have like differing opinions, but still like learn about both sides of the, arg- not even argument, but both sides, both of, sides the- of the coin. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. So I really like those conversations. Oh, I just, I, I just thought of one of my favorite episodes. It was, um, it was actually talking to Cassidy's sister and her experience building with um, <laughs> yeah. uh, building the Meta VR headset. That was that was very very cool as well. I also really liked the episode with Mattania from YouTube. She was a UX designer at YouTube and also yeah. a creator yeah, on yeah. TikTok. Mm. That was really fun. Plus, I like was a fan of her TikTok, so it was kind of cool to get to like talk to her and meet her too. Yeah. So yep. yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was one of our most popular episodes yeah. of the year. That that one people really Yeah, loved. that was really cool. Now I want to pat myself on the back more because our I finally got a chance to look at our wrapped, our year in wrapped on Spotify. And we are one of the most followed and shared podcasts. I don't believe that for what? a second. I don't understand what metric they're using for that. I believe but it. It said yeah. it and it was like Sure, if you say so. So, yeah, I think it's like of people who listen to you, like you have a high percentage of people who follow you and share your episodes. Not like numerically, you are the biggest because that's certainly. I mean, if that's the case, then we should really start talking about, you know, having our own studio and uh, (laughs) signing a deal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite episodes was the one with the creator of homebrew just Mm. because it was an idea we had talked about so many times in the abstract. How can we get open source creators and maintainers paid and doesn't the blockchain solve this somehow? And they're going to give it a try. So I appreciate it. I think if we could give an award for best voice on the podcast, the, that man, I Mm. could, I want him to do a a podcast just telling bedtime stories because I would, I would (laughs) love that. He had such a great voice. He should look into audio books. baritone. Maybe that mm. would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, as always, I'm going to check and see if I can find us a lifeboat badge to end the program. Oh, it also, because we've mentioned accessibility, if anybody here is involved with accessibility for video games or as a consultant or whatever else, please email the show because we'd love to have a chat around uh, you know, how mm. that whole process works, what's meaningful for you when it comes to an accessibility controller, if you've used them in the past, that kind of thing. I think that would be a really interesting conversation. Yeah, that's a good idea. Thanks for shouting that out. All right, y'all, it is that time of the show. We want to shout out Sonu Kumar. Two days ago, was awarded the Lifeboat Badge for coming on and saving a question from the dustbin of history, giving it a great answer. How can I update a specific column in an active record in Ruby on Rails. So if you're still working in Ruby on Rails and you're having trouble with your active record columns, we have an answer for 
you. As always, I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Shoot me a DM there. You can always email us, podcast at Stack Overflow with questions or suggestions. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. Really helps. And my name is Sierra Ford. I'm a developer advocate at Off Zero by Okta. You can find me on Twitter. My username there is C-E-E-O-R-E-O underscore. And I'm Matt Kinander. For the last time, I'm a developer advocate at Stack Overflow. Uh, and you can find me <laughs> online, I know, online at Matt Kander, M-A-T-T-K-A-N-D-E-R on YouTube and Twitter. And uh, if you want to reach out personally, it's matt.kinander at gmail.com. All right, reach out to Matt, help him find his next great adventure. And thanks for listening, y'all. We will talk to you soon.